May uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are 407 words in our Old Testament reading. My hope today is to try and make sense of just one of them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What does that mean? What does it mean that the Bible uses jealous as an adjective to describe God? That jealousy is so essential to God's identity and character that Exodus 34 goes so far as to say, the Lord's very name is jealous. I've heard it said that jealousy is one of the more challenging and confusing divine attributes in the pages of Scripture. Why is that? Well, because jealousy, as we use the term, is an an almost exclusively negative word. To be jealous is to be petty and controlling and resentful and insecure. Who wants to worship a God like that? And you might think, well, that seems like a peculiar, uh, a distinctly modern Objection, But I was reading uh, J.I. Packer, who's a famous theologian, recently died, and he wrote a very celebrated book called Knowing God. It came out 48 years ago this year, and chapter 17 is called The Jealous God. And here's what Packer says. Were we imagining a God, then naturally we would ascribe only characteristics which we admired, and jealousy would not enter the picture. Nobody would imagine a jealous God. But jealousy is uh, all over the Bible. It's in our reading. And you know, our reading is not a, a random passage from the book of Nahum. Raise your hand if you ever heard a sermon on the book of Nahum. That's what I thought. This is the Ten Commandments, one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And in the middle of it, God says, I am jealous. And you, well, you might think, yeah, this feels very Old Testament. That probably gets softened in the new, but not so fast. Because Paul, in one of his letters, is writing to one of the churches that is um, celebrating Holy Communion inappropriately, let's say. And Paul says to them, are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? So jealousy as a way of describing God is a truth from Genesis to the book of Revelation. But again, my hope today is to make sense of it, and I really do think that if we take time to try and wrap our mind around this biblical teaching, we'll have a unique window into God's own heart. And I think you might just be able to follow Jesus with a bit more passion and integrity, knowing that God is indeed a jealous God. So three kind of headers to structure this. Uh, First, the nature of God's jealousy, the call of God's jealousy, and the practice of God's jealousy. So what it is, what it calls for, and how to make it part of your life. First, the nature of the jealousy of God. Now, if you were to just do a, uh, a word search of the word jealousy, you would find hundreds and hundreds of references in the Bible. And many of those references, as uh, Exodus 20, refer to God as a way of describing God positively. But there are also hundreds of references to jealousy in the Bible that describe human 
emotions and human behavior. And those portrayals are almost exclusively negative. To be jealous is to be petty and controlling and resentful and insecure. It is a characteristic of life apart from the influence of Jesus, apart from the influence of the Spirit. To put it simply, for your, if you're a human being, to be jealous is to be a sinner. But in the Bible, for God to be jealous is good. Isn't that weird? That's strange. We just have to admit that is b- bizarre. That's something that we see in human beings most of the time is bad, but it's a perfectly fine way to describe God. So we have to say that there is a, a bad form of jealousy that we're all very familiar with, but there's also a good form of jealousy that is usually true only of God, but sometimes can be true of human beings too. Okay, so we have to think about the difference between good jealousy and bad jealousy. You guys still with me? This first point, it's kind of heavy teaching, but I promise we'll turn the corner and it'll be very inspiring. <laughs> Maybe not, but bad jealousy. Okay, we know what bad jealousy is, right? Uh, Shakespeare called it the green-eyed monster. I learned this week that uh, psychologists will differentiate envy from jealousy because envy is something that we uh, only think about in relationship to possessions. So imagine uh, my best friend gets a brand new car. I am very envious of their car because I want to drive it and it's amazing. Imagine also that that friend who was once very attentive to me always returned my texts, no longer returns my texts because they have all these new friends because they got this amazing car. I would be envious of the car, but jealous that my friend no longer has time for me. So jealousy is a word that defines relationships that have gone wrong. And specifically, relationships like this. This is a simple example, but it illustrates it. Let's say I love someone, and that person whom I love, who I feel very positively about, I care deeply about that person. There's love there. And then that person starts to love someone else. And that's very hurtful. That's very disappointing. That's very frustrating. And it arouses a lot of negative emotions, right? The emotions I just described. So we have these positive emotions, love, that are mixed with these negative emotions, disappointment, anger, resentment. And for most human beings, most of the time, those negative emotions are so powerful that they come to dominate the way we feel about that person. So where I once loved that person and held them in very high esteem, I'm now very frustrated and angry with that person. And that, in a word, or not a word, in a sentence, is what jealousy is. It's when love becomes mixed with anger and turns to hate. And one of the clearest biblical examples of this is uh, in the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph had a number of brothers, and their family seemingly was a relatively happy family until Joseph became the apple of his father's eye. Joseph got the, the, the dream coat, right? Joseph could do nothing wrong. And Joseph's brothers, who once loved Joseph, all of a sudden started feeling angry because Joseph was stealing their father's love. And that anger turned their love into hate. So hateful, in fact, that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Okay, that example might not have been that helpful, to be honest. But here's the header. Jealousy is love mixed with anger that becomes hate. That's bad jealousy. Now, let's think about the good kind of jealousy that's true of God, and every now and then is true of human beings too. There is one, there are a couple, but the clearest 
positive example of jealousy exhibited by a human being in the Bible is in 2 Corinthians 11. And I think it really will illustrate my point. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, which is a church that he helped get off the ground. It was like Peter and Church of the Cross. He knows the people. He cares deeply about the people. He's invested himself in these people and their spiritual lives. And he writes to them, he says, I, Corinthians, am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He uses the adverb godly to modify the adjective jealous because he knows that jealousy is almost always a bad term. He's saying, I'm jealous for you, but I'm jealous for you in a good way. Now, what does that mean? Well, you have to know the context of 2 Corinthians. This church that Paul helped get off the ground was being taken over by these harmful, hurtful, unhealthy people who were going to lead this church astray. And their feelings toward Paul had greatly soured. And so Paul is saying to them, Corinthians, I love you, but there's some anger getting stirred up right now because I see you being destroyed. You know, Paul was not being lackadaisical or coolly indifferent. It was not, Corinthians, you do you. You know, live your truth. You have the freedom to make your own mistakes. No, Paul said, no, Corinthians, I love you. And I care deeply about you. And I want to fix what's been broken in our relationship. But, and here is the key difference. Paul loved them. He was angry. But that anger did not turn his love into hate. Paul was still committed to the Corinthians. He still wanted them to flourish and thrive. He still was committed to their good. And he was determined to fix what is broken in that relationship. Okay, now let's take this up to God. When we say that God is jealous, or what I should say, when the Bible says God is jealous, what that means is that God loves us and that God is invested in our relationship. And when God sees us destroying ourselves or destroying other people in sin, God is angry. God is not coolly indifferent. God is not benignly saying, oh, whatever, I'm sure it's not that big of a deal. No, God is saying, that breaks my heart to see my people hurting themselves and others. But God's anger does not turn vengeful or cruel. God loves his people. And so even though he is angry and jealous, he is still committed to us and to our good. God is a jealous God. And I think that can be good news. Okay, that's point one. The nature of God's jealousy. Loved Love mixed with anger, that stays love. Now, point two, the, the call. If God is indeed a jealous God, what does that mean for us in our relationship with God? Well, I have a pastor, former pastor, who uh, used to talk about uh, that moment in the wedding ceremony. You guys remember going to weddings? <laughs> Wonderful times. Uh, just like this kidding. No one would get married here right now. Uh, but you can imagine uh, the bride and the groom at that moment in the service when they're uh, exchanging vows and rings and they're, you know, they're very close to each other. The, uh, the pastor said, you know, you can imagine that they're stepping in that moment into a circle and they remain in that circle for the rest of their lives. And they move throughout the rest of their lives in that circle. And that circle is a barrier. The circle says, I am going to relate to this person 
with a level of commitment and loyalty and fidelity and sacrifice that's qualitatively different than my relationship with anyone else. I am married to one person. That person is in my circle, and I relate to them differently than everybody else. Does that make sense? Um, okay, now, uh, as believers, you know, as Christians, marriage is a biblical institution. We care deeply about marriage, but we care deeply about marriage because marriage is downstream from our relationship with God. We believe what we believe about marriage because what we believe about God and how God relates to us in a covenant. Because God has invited each and every one of us into that circle. God has said, I will be loyal and faithful to you. I am making a covenant with you. And in our tradition, we believe that baptism is when we enter that circle. We say, yes, God, I will also offer you loyalty and fidelity and sacrifice. I will serve you and love you more than any other God. Or we say, my children will love you more than any other God. This important, this decision is too important for them to make for themselves, right? Um, anyway, that's another sermon. Um, so uh, the reason why this is important is because the Bible, when the Bible talks about sin, its favorite imagery is not breaking a rule. It's not a citizen that's disobeying the dictates of a king. It's not a sheep that's wandering away from the care of a shepherd. When the Bible talks about sin, its favorite analogy is infidelity adultery. It's like a spouse being unfaithful to their partner. Now, but if you, if you flip that around, I think we have a good answer to that question. What does the jealousy of God call for from me? It calls for your loyalty. It calls for your fidelity. In the same way that you think about your spouse and how to please your spouse and do what is honoring and best for your spouse, God says, our jealous God says in this passage, here are my commandments. Obey. Be loyal and sacrificial to me. Okay, now I could stop there and move on to the third point, but I, I think it's important that we nuance that a little bit. Here's what I mean. Because if I stop there, I think we all either have direct experience or know people who were in marriages that were not particularly healthy and did not model the mutual sacrifice that we see written for us in the pages of scripture. What we see, perhaps, is a type of relationship where one of the partners is terrified of angering the other spouse. And so they tiptoe around the other, constantly afraid of evoking rage or jealousy or anger or bitterness. And Obviously, that's not a very compelling picture of what it means to be a Christian, that we're always so scared of making God angry because he's a jealous God that we cower and try to do what's right. I think there's a more meaningful way to connect the jealousy of God or God's love for us with God's desire for us to obey. And that way is a 2007 controversially plagued reality show called Kid Nation, are any of you familiar with Kid Nation? It quite literally aired. I didn't, I didn't do that joke very well. It was much funnier in the first service. But the idea is Kid Nation was a show on CBS in 2007. Here is the premise. 40 kids aged 8 to 14 try to create a functioning society with zero adult help and supervision. 
The episode titles reveal how the season went. To kill or not to kill. Viva la revolution. The root of all evil. And the finale, we've all decided to go mad. Now, the reason why I bring that up, because I have this very vivid memory of watching Kid Nation when I was in college. And in one of the episodes, the kids are living in this like, unfurnished house, and they have to populate it with furniture by completing challenges successfully. So they complete one challenge successfully, and the host says, okay, kids, you have one of two choices. You can get beds or a room full of arcade games. And the kids say, arcade games. <laughs> and what that illustrates is that kids and human beings are terrible at choosing what is best for them. Oftentimes, we don't even know what is ultimately best for us. And even if we know pretty clearly this is definitely the right thing for me, we still choose the other thing, right? Now, God is jealous. God wants us to obey. God is intent on removing our flaws. And we, the Bible, commands us to obey God. And what I want to say is that one of the reasons why we should want to obey God is because our happiness is directly connected to our holiness. When we want the right things, when we want what God wants for us, that is how human beings thrive and flourish. And so God is determined to not just command obedience with the threat of punishment, but God is determined to change our very desires. This is another sermon from another, other pages of Scripture, but it has a biblical theme that God would write the law on our hearts and create in us a genuine desire to obey. That is the kind of life that the jealousy of God calls for, obedience that's sourced by a desire to please and a recognition that I am at my best when I am walking in step with the law of God. Okay, final point. Nature of God's jealousy, the call of God's jealousy, and then finally, the practice of God's jealousy. How do we make this idea part of our daily life? And I want to turn to the uh, gospel text that Sarah, Matt Vermeer read for us and Sarah already talked about a little bit. The, the gospel lesson from John, John 2, is, is the jealousy of God in non-metaphorical terms. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and in Jesus' day, people would travel to Jerusalem in the weeks leading up to Passover to prepare for the feast. It's actually very similar to how we prepare for Lent. We get ready for the celebration of Easter. Well, Jesus' day, people did the same thing for Passover. But when Jesus walks into the temple courts, he sees this flurry of activity, this flurry of preparation. But in his infinite wisdom, Jesus discerns that this activity has more to do with commerce than God. People are more obsessed with money and the exchange of money and the purchase of goods than they are with preparing their hearts to worship God. And so Jesus, you know, he flips out. And the disciples make sense of his action by quoting a verse from the book of Psalms. Zeal for your house will consume me. Now in the Bible, zeal and jealousy is the exact same word. It just they translate it differently in English based on context, but it's the same basic impulse. God is jealous for his people to worship him with an undivided heart. And Jesus is channeling that jealousy when he drives out the people from the temple courts. But I, what, I, what I want you to understand or what I want you to notice is what happens after that. Because the people who saw Jesus do this said, who do you think you are? 
Like, by what authority do you, you know, create this upheaval? And Jesus very cryptically says, well, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they say, excuse me? It's taken 40 years to, destroy, to build this temple. How are you going to raise it up in three days? And what they did not know, that no one knew, besides Jesus, is that Jesus was not talking about the temple. He wasn't talking about brick and mortar and oxen and incense and priests. Jesus was talking about his body. Because in Christianity, we believe that there is one access point between where heaven and earth meet. There is one way to be in communion with God. There is one way to enter God's presence with joy and confidence, and that is through Jesus. That there is only one person who's ever completely fulfilled the Ten Commandments that we just heard about. And that person is Jesus. And that when you lay hold and believe in Jesus, the joy and confidence and connection that he has with God the Father becomes yours. Everything that is true of him becomes true of you. You have his confidence. You have his joy. You have his connection. You have his poise. And so, how do we practice God's jealousy? How do we make this notion of God's love for us that's so strong that it becomes angry when he sees us hurting ourselves? How do we make that part of our life? Well, what I want to say to you is in some ways what Jesus said to the people of his day in the weeks before Passover. This Lent, in the weeks before Easter, tune out the noise. We're obviously not purchasing animals to sacrifice on Easter Sunday, but there is so many messages and so many different forms of media that are constantly vying for our attention. It's one political crisis to the next. It's one public health crisis to the next. There's always something to be outraged about, to post about on social media, to kind of signal your upsetness or your agreement with what's going on in the world. And what I want to say to you is just stop doing that and to focus on Jesus, God's beloved Son, who embodies God's own jealous love for you. Lay hold of him. And in the, you know, the normal rhythms of your life, I take my dog on a walk multiple times a day. It's very easy for me to turn that walk with my dog into a walk with Jesus, where I can give him the different elements of my day and ask him to fill me with his spirit. If you journal in the morning, you can write prayers to Jesus, asking him to make certain things true in your life. If you listen to podcasts or music when you jog or do yard work, you can listen to worship music and make that an occasion to sing praise to Jesus. We all have a multiple, a number of opportunities in our day to lay hold of the jealousy of God in human form, a love that's so jealous and so compassionate that it absorbed its own anger at our sin so that we could be free. Lay hold of him. Make it your aim to possess Jesus by faith, and everything that you should want in your life will follow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.